and welcome to <laughs> Guys, we were trying to be all creepy with tongue clicks and Becky lost it. I'm sorry, I couldn't. <laughs> we're getting you ready for the podcast, guys. I couldn't hold it. Get ready. Ready, set. <laughs> ready, set. So, welcome to another episode of Don't Fuck With The Original. I'm your host, Casper. And I am your other host, Becky Gremlin. Here to bring you all things spooky on Wednesdays, but today is Tuesday, sometimes. <laughs> but, as always, we're Wednesdays still here. Per, per podcast. Per podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is gonna be great. Yep. Per podcast only on Tuesdays, though. Per, yeah. Otherwise. Tuesdays are per podcast, and when, de- <laughs> when dead nays days are for <laughs> Witness days. <laughs> how we're starting this? Yes. Okay. Witness days and per podcast. That's right. <laughs> anyway, so oh, today, yeah. first of all, we want to say a very special happy birthday to Vera Farmiga, Yay! who turns forty six today and looks not a day over thirty two. No, no, not at all. <laughs> happy I don't birthday, Vera! We yes. love you. Yeah, we were Bates actually just talking about Bates Motel a minute ago and. If you guys listened to our Conjuring episode last week, which we hope you did, because we were very proud of that. It was long, but it needed to be because those movies are incredible. And uh, that woman just doesn't fail at anything. She just, nope. she's incredible at literally everything she does. So, you know, she's of one of those people that become the role. Like, you don't yes. see Vera Farmiga, you see Norman Bates. Norman Bates. Oh my God. Well, Norma. 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 Midsommar. But you see Norma Bates, and you see Lorraine Mormon, and, <laughs> and uh, whatever her name was on Orphan, which is actually the movie that introduced me to her. That which was, was an amazing first... movie. You know what's funny, though, is like, I just, this is totally not horror, but actually the first movie that I did see her in, but had kind of forgot, because it's kind of a small role, but she still plays it very, very well, was uh, The Manchurian Candidate. Mm-hmm. Well, at least the remake of The Manchurian Candidate. Um, but yeah, I would, Orphan was really like the first, cause she kind of played a side role, but Orphan was the first like major role I saw her in. And then after that was the Departed, oh, the Martin God, Scorsese. She's so good. Guys, if oh you have God. never, look, <laughs> that movie is just incredible all the way around. Cause mm-hmm. it's just got an all-star cast. You've got her, you've got Leonardo DiCaprio, you've got Matt Damon, you've got Jack Nicholson. It's a Martin Scorsese film, but like. Her role especially is incredible. Like I said, she takes on the character that you don't even see Vera. You see that character. And that's why in The Conjuring, when I look at her, I I don't see her. I see Lorraine. Lorraine, yep. Yeah. And guys, there is a movie. I haven't seen this movie yet, but uh, Vera Farmiga and Patrick Wilson are actually in a movie together that is not The Conjuring and uh, Liam Neeson is also in it's called The Commuter. I personally Ooh. have not seen it. I, I want either. to see it because of the cast that I just said. And um, again, another one of those all-star casts. Right. So, and I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, she plays the villain. If I'm, I could be wrong, but well, I think she actually plays the villain in that one. She plays a villain well. <laughs> she does. I mean, Norma. <laughs> I mean, Norma's not technically a villain. She's kind of an anti-hero. <laughs> You 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 root you root for her in some aspects, but then in other aspects you're like, ooh, bitch, like, like, this bitch, girl, <laughs> calm the fuck down. 
<clears throat> but yeah, happy birthday, Vera. We yes. love you. Much love to you. Okay, guys, so we are actually talking about Ari Aster today and his movies, Midsommar. It's actually Midsommar. It's Midsommar. Don't ask me why <laughs> when I looked at it, I just started pronouncing it like that. And everybody's like, that's not how you say it. I'm like, I personally you? like it better. <laughs> right? Like, what are you going to see? Midsommar. It just makes you sound so fancy. You're not like yeah. Midsommar. You're like Midsommar. I just assumed that. And hereditary. How they say <laughs> The accents. Hereditary. <laughs> the strange thing about the Johnsons. Ari, Ari Aster. Ari Aster is a star. Wouldn't you guys love it if we talked like this the whole Oh time? my god, that would get annoying though. <laughs> oh no, we would not. You guys would be like, okay. Side note, this is a little bit of comedy for you. I don't know if you had ever heard of this lady. There was this lady on Jeopardy years ago that apparently after every time she said something, she would question, like end it like a question. And she would be like, Alex, this subject for a 100. You mean like (laughs) a valley girl? Like everything? It's like a question? And there's actually like a YouTube video of this guy making fun of her doing it. And she's like, 100? 200? I am so shocked I missed that because I fucking love my Jeopardy. We're just going to talk about it like that. Midsommar and Hereditary. (laughs) Only when we refer to the names. We won't... (laughs) Oh my god, I'll forget to do it though. Like we're talking about Ari Aster here in our podcast today. Like <laughs> Oh my oh god. Gosh. So anyway, Ari Aster is a phenomenal director who's up and coming. He he has literally made his two big debuts in literally the past two years. Um, yeah. Midsummer came out this year and Hereditary came out last year. Yep. I I just to be such a young up and coming filmmaker and literally have two incredibly compelling compelling horror movies back to back and i mean i don't even know i mean if you guys have seen midsummer you be the judge if you want to i don't really know if i would necessarily consider it a horror movie but i guess he doesn't consider it a horror movie i he consider he calls it he continually continuously calls it folk horror is what i've heard him refer to it as is folk horror right but I, I, he never says like he's like Hereditary is a horror movie. Oh, this for movie sure. is not. I don't think a movie necessarily has to have blood and violence in it to be a horror movie per right. se. It, it just Midsummer is one of those movies that straddles the fence. It's yeah. kind of like it can be, but no. <laughs> and I just have a feeling that he's going to be, and I know you and I talked about this. That he, I think that he is going to be in the same vein as some of M. Night Shyamalan's movies where I don't think people are going to know how to categorize them. I don't think mm-hmm. people are going to really know how to get them. I think they're going to have to be one of these like one or two or three watches before you really understand the imagery, the, the you know. And I think too, Hereditary and Midsummer, probably more Midsummer will be one of those movies that everyone will have a different interpretation of it. I think even the way Ari Aster describes Midsummer, and he was like, well, it's a breakup movie. And I'm like, oh, well, I didn't see that, but <laughs> okay. I appreciate the fact that that was your vision. Um, but uh, I think that it's going to be one of those movies where everybody is going to have a different takeaway from it. Everybody's going to view it in a different way. And I also think it's going to be one of those movies that if you say you didn't like it, you just really didn't understand it. Um, and I can also understand how it couldn't be someone's cup of tea. 
it's it's a it was a very different. I had never seen I, it's you know everybody said it had a lot of elements of Wicker Man and it did, but it it was. <sighs> It was different. <laughs> it was definitely different. It had takeaways from Wicker Man, but it was definitely different from Wicker Man for sure. I But I appreciated how much he did so much research for this movie. I mean, he really made sure that he put a lot of imagery in there and folklore and history that really delved deep into actual things that Nordics and, and uh, different Germanic and Scottish even some Irish cultures followed many, many, many years ago. So, yeah. I'm sorry, I'm looking. I really want to read Jordan Peele's review on Midsummer because he basically just said it was one of the most iconic horror movies of all time that's going to go down in, like, history. Oh, I think it'll go down as, like, Rosemary's Baby. I'd, I'd put it in the same vein as Rosemary's Baby, for sure. He calls it atrociously disturbing, mm-hmm. very unique. <clears throat> um, this is him talking to Ari Aster. When I texted you after the screening, I wrote, I think you've made the most... I, de- I can't pronounce that word because I'm dumb. Oh, I think you've made the most idyllic, idyllic. horror movie of all time. Yep, you've taken Stepford Wives, shattered the attractiveness of that movie with this one. That alone is a feat. Also, there's some obvious comps out there, but this movie is just so unique. This hasn't existed yet, and anything after Midsummer is going to have to contend with it. I mean, <clears throat> this asserts The Wicker Man as the most iconic pagan movie to be referenced. Oh, yeah. Which sure. is funny, because we both said that. We were like, oh yeah, very Wicker Man-ish, for sure. And you guys, there we are going to have Midsummer spoilers. Um, I do want to mention that. At the beginning, because we're going to talk about Hereditary first, but I do want to mention we will have some spoilers in Midsummer because it's one of those movies that it's hard to talk about unless there's spoilers because there's a lot that happens, but it's like it's it's hard to talk about without being like, this is why or like going on about especially the underlying theme of it. We can't really discuss that without telling what the movie is about. So there will be Midsummer spoilers. So we'll be like, we're done with Hereditary. Stop. (laughs) Right. Yeah. We'll, we'll try to, we'll probably delve more into really describing hereditary, but I think what we'll try to do with Midsummer is kind of give you a context of the imagery and the meanings behind the movie. And then really let you be the judge and go out and see it yourself. If you still haven't seen it, if you want to listen to this past, if you haven't seen it yet and you want to listen to past hereditary about Midsummer. There's going to be a lot that we'll discuss that will make the movie maybe make more sense. But then again, if you're one of those people where you're like, really, I want to frame my own opinion. Because like I said, I really think that he's going to be one of these directors that are going to make movies where you will frame your own opinion of the movie. So we'll leave it up to you. We'll, But we definitely will, like Casper said, you can't talk about this movie without spoiling it because it's just... Jordan Peele nailed it. It is, it's, it's incredibly idyllic. It is, it, it's just, it will really set a tone on what horror is going to adapt to from here on out. It really is. Him and Jordan, I feel like Jordan Peele and Ari Aster are really changing the game. Can you They're guys like, make a movie together? Right. 
they're like our <laughs> modern day like West Craven Roman, and well and Roman Polanski. I'll even take yeah. it as like Roman Polanski because I think a lot like Rosemary's Baby was incredibly controversial. Like people were not ready for a movie movie. like that. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what to think about it. It was, you know, and then you had beautiful Mia Farrow and that, oh my God, that woman was so gorgeous in that movie. And you just had these, the the music and like everything in that movie was so, and I, I, I felt a little bit of that. I, I felt a little bit of Roman Polanski. I felt some, you know, I felt a lot of different, but him and Jordan Peele are definitely going to stand up with Wes Craven, with John Carpenter, with these iconic horror movie directors, but they're taking horror. Uh, James Wan's up there too, but they're taking horror to like the next level. James Wan is an amazing director and he's personally my favorite director because of the way that he takes on something so dear to me. Right. He's um, done the Warrens in utmost justice. But sure. the way Jordan Peele's <clears throat> and Ari Aster's movies are so deep. They're like visceral. They're they're like, you can't just watch a movie, one of their movies and have a surface way of thinking. Right. Because it won't make sense to you yeah. and it's not going to be good. You have to read everything in that movie and be like, what does this symbolize? What is this symbolizing? And just the movie as a whole will make so much sense. And I love that. I love cryptic movies where you have to sit there and think, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I have not felt that. Like Mike Hereditary. Flanagan. Mike Flanagan has made me feel that. He's, He's another, another really one good one. Yeah. Up there too. yeah. <laughs> I, uh, what, uh, you know, there's, there's been few movies that have left me at the end where I was like, whoa. And, uh, Rosemary's baby did that to me. The very first Saul did that to me. Oculus did that to me. Oculus and God. Hereditary and Midsummer did that to me too. I mean, where I literally needed like a minute. I had to sit there and kind of go through my mind and process what I had just watched because the imagery is so visceral. Like I said, these movies are not on a surface level. You can't have a surface level way of thinking. So if you're not more of a deep person that reads into things, this is just not going to be the movie. If you watch it and say to yourself, don't think about this as a surfacey movie. Think about it on a deeper level. You'll have a better understanding of what you're watching because I have to admit, when I walked into Hereditary, I had a different mindset because of the way it was advertised. Hereditary was advertised like a legit jump scare paranormal horror movie and that's what I thought I was getting so the first time I saw it I was like the fuck (laughs) because I was like that was nothing so I had to watch it again and when I watched it again I had chills and I was like this is a fucking masterpiece because I actually was watching it with the right mindset if you don't watch it with the right mindset you're not gonna appreciate it the way you appreciate it is if you did and I'm a prime example of that because I walked into it with the wrong mindset, saw it again, and was like, oh. I, I walked into <laughs> it. Now, I was the opposite. I walked into Hereditary not really expecting anything. I really didn't know what to expect. I, I was, I'm, I'm a big fan of Gabriel Byrne and Tony Collette. I, I love them both as actors. So I didn't really know what to expect when I walked into it. But after seeing it, I was like, this is incredible. I mean, this is so amazing. And the two of them as a married couple too, I mean, they had some scenes together that were just like, 
whoa, like it was real. You would have almost believed that they were really together. Like, yeah. Again, like we said about Vera, you forget that they're like you actors. See, they're two actors that took on those characters that you only saw those two characters. Oh, by the way, completely forgot characters. that she played the mom in this. And God, she's completely incredible. forgot about that. She's, she's an incredible amazing. Incredible actress. She amazing. really is. Amazing. So I'm gonna um, give you guys a little bit of a history on Ari Aster before we get into his movies. Oh yeah, yep, yeah, definitely. So he was born on July fifteenth, nineteen eighty six, in New York City. His father was a musician. His mother was a poet. He has a younger brother, and his family is Jewish. He recalled going to see his first movie when he was four years old, and that was Dick Tracy. It's a great <laughs> movie. <laughs> The film, Such a 90s classic. It actually really is a good movie. If you haven't seen it, go watch it now. <laughs> Pause. <laughs> the film featured a scene where a character fired a Tommy gun while a wall of fire was behind him. Astor reportedly jumped back from his seat and ran six New York City blocks where his mother had to chase him. In his early childhood, Astor's family briefly lived in Chester, England, and they returned to the United States when he was 10 years old, settling in New Mexico. As a child, he became obsessed with horror films. Good man. <laughs> Frequently renting them from the local video stores. He said, I just exhausted the horror section of every video store I could find. I'm actually feel like that in Netflix. <laughs> oh, I'm just feeling that. Him and I are the same age, so I'm feeling that in my childhood. I mean, I remember we had a movie gallery right down the street from where I grew up. Right across from a La Rosa's, too. Isn't that fucking perfect? And uh, ah, pizza. we would go to La Rosa's and get pizza, and then we would go to movie gallery and get a movie and i mean i had worn out the horror section like every movie in the horror section i had to see i i, I wore it out so yeah i i was that kid so i feel you on a spiritual level <laughs> yeah i was that if kid. i was allowed to watch horror films as a kid oh you would have been that would have been, been that would have been, been, been like, me same <laughs> but unfortunately now i have to say netflix because now i can actually watch horror movies and i have to exhaust all the streaming services <laughs> well, a lot of kids now, that's their outlet. Guys, just to let you know, if you have flea markets or any of those pawn shops around you, go to them and look for horror movies. Oh my God, One and yes. two dollar movies, and they're older. Like, I found, I fucking found um, the VHS series I found on DVD. <laughs> I found um, Jennifer's Body. I found, what are some old ones? I found One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which that's not really horror, but... An amazing movie. movie. Um, I found some really older, I can't think right now, but some older horror movies, and I ended up buying like 35 movies, and they were like a dollar to two dollars each. Guys, do it. You'll it's, find some hidden gems. Um, yeah. Garage sales, too. Yeah. If you hit up garage sales, you will find people just. Shout out to Carl, money. who found Saw on VHS for five fifty cents. Oh, that's amazing. I was like, dude. <laughs> I would just keep that as a collector's item. He's going to. Anyway, sorry, side note. I just thought I would bring that up because it's like when you're when you're tired of, you know, the streaming services and they don't have what you want, but you're like, I really want to watch these older movies. Uh, flea markets, garage sales, and pawn shops legitimately have them for really cheap. And then you've always got a copy of it on hand. Yeah. It's really like, I, I, that's how I was with Blair Witch. I had to find a copy of Blair Witch because I was like, I want to watch this so much. I can't find it anywhere. I found it for two bucks at a pawn shop. Oh, and Score. we will definitely be doing a Blair Witch episode, guys. So oh, yes. Not coming up this month, but we are no. planning one. Okay. So, anyway. <laughs> um, he found himself just writing screenplays. Uh, he graduated in 2010 from the College of Santa Fe in, Me in New Mexico. 
before earning a Master of Fine Arts degree from the AFI Conservatory in Los Angeles, where he met many of his future collaborators. His debut film was the controversial short TDF Really Works in 2011, which was then followed by his breakout short, The Strange Thing About the Johnsons. Between 2011 and 2018, Astor wrote and directed five more short films, often teaming with his AFI conservatory friends Alejandro de Leon and Pawel Pogorzelski to produce and shoot. Astor made his feature-length directional debut with Hereditary, which was released by A24 in 2008 and garnered high praise from critics. The film holds a weighted average of 87 out of 100 based on 49 critics from Metacritic. Metacritic, guys. An 87 on Metacritic is huge. Metacritic is like the critic of critics. It is, if you get anything over a 60, it's like really good on Metacritic. And he's almost getting 100 on this. Um, and then, of course, he also directed Midsummer, was released on July 3rd of this year. Has very positive reviews, and yeah, that's really all that there is as far as like history on him. He um really started out with the short films, and actually, I would really like if he would direct a Black Mirror episode. I think that that would be really oh. cool if he would do that. My God, that would be incredible. If you guys has, have it seen the strange things about the Johnsons, it's on YouTube. You can look it up. It's about a 30-minute short. It's amazing, and it's fucked up. It's a tough one to get through, but yeah. I think it, yeah, I will say, uh, well, I'll wait till you're finished and then I'll. Oh, no, I was, you well, go, go ahead. I was going to say, um, cause I, before we, we'll, I only watched two of his shorts, uh, Casper watched all three of them. Um, and we'll go into a little bit of a brief discussion about the shorts real quick, and then we'll kind of get more into Hereditary and Midsummer. Um, the strange things about the Johnsons is really one of those, you know, we'll, we'll tell you the premise, but I, it really serves people to actually watch it. Um, it's a, it's only about 29 minutes long and, um, essentially it's about incest, but it is a son that has been repeatedly sexually abusing his father. His father writes a story about it to tell his mother. The father ends up, I believe he killed himself. Uh, it was a, hit and run accident, but he purposely ran out in traffic. Um, the mother did know the story, hid it. Uh, but once the father's dead, she confronts the son about it and she kills him. So, um, it's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's you know, really, it, really it made hard me think to get of a lot. And, yeah. you know, I had watched it prior to, um, even thinking about, well, before we even had a podcast, I had actually watched it after hereditary. I had been hearing about it. And I watched it and uh, I've since watched it again to ready for the podcast. And um, I read a really great article that a uh, black uh, journalist did who actually himself was sexually molested as a child, uh, not by, a, uh, I believe by an uncle, actually. It wasn't his father, but by a relative nonetheless. And um, there was a lot of takeaways to watching that. It was very difficult to watch, but I think it really opened up a dialogue of sexual abuse really being such a taboo thing and even to this day being a very taboo thing that's very difficult to discuss and talk about. Um, and it's also something that happens in the Black community that is virtually never discussed. And that was something that this black journalist made a point of saying, I would have never thought to tell anybody 
I didn't tell anybody for years about the sexual abuse that I went through as a child because that was just something that you did not talk about. There was this very much of this culture of you just don't talk about it. You just don't talk about it. Um, so I thought that that, again, Ari Aster has a thing and you even saw it from the beginning in such a short film to he real he reaches you on such a visceral level that you are just you are your mind is literally blown. Um, so he really took on a subject matter that I appreciated because it's not something because it's still considered taboo. I after that watched a documentary about the Menendez brothers. That was really hard to get through because those boys were raped by their father. And it again, it's just a topic that nobody talks about. People to I mean, it's it's hard enough for people to talk about sexual abuse, whether it be from a family member, a priest. I mean, we've been hearing all about these Catholic scandals that have been going on for years. But when it's in your family, when it's somebody like your father or your son or your mother or somebody that close to you, it, nobody, you don't want to think that something so horrible like that could actually happen, but it happens all the time. And he really did such an amazing job in describing how it hits the whole family, how the mother didn't want to believe it and she just dismissed it and and would turn the TV up and didn't want to hear it. And that happens in so many households. But the fact that he told the flip of it, I, I don't I don't think that I mean I, that that was even harder to deal with, but it still doesn't negate the fact that sexual abuse, incest, all of that in any way, shape or form is disgusting and horrible, but it needs to be talked about because it does happen. And if it's not talked about, then it, you know, there will be no outlets for people to get help that have gone through it or that are continuing to go through it. So yeah, I just thought that was amazing. That was incredible the way he did it. And I know you and I talked about the fact that really the only backlash he got from it was that people were upset because the family was black and he's Jewish. I mean, that that again, I think, goes back to watching something on a surface level. But I mean, he even he, he says this in an interview. He said the only reason it was a black family was because he wanted one of his, of his best friends to be in it, and his best friend was black. So thus, the family had to be black. Right. That's the, he's like. There's nothing else. That's it. That's the only reason they were black. Yeah. It was something that simple. It was just. It was an yeah. afterthought. He's like, an afterthought. and you know, everyone was freaking out because they were like. Um, the people of A24 were like, you know, I don't know if we can do this, but now they actually show it to up-and-coming people in that... um, That film class. In that film class. They actually show it to up-and-coming people. So he's like, clearly, I guess I did something right. (laughs) Oh my gosh, yeah, this would be a perfect movie. If you were an up-and-coming film director, this would be a great movie to watch to see... It was had to so good, you would have thought it was a legit professional director yeah. doing it. It was that good. This was a student film director, guys. He hadn't even <laughs> finished school yet, nope. and he made this. So keep that in mind when you watch it, that he hadn't even finished school yet before he made this, and he nailed it. It was it was extremely well done. And like I said, really took on a subject matter that, yes, is taboo, but it does happen. And it may not happen with the flip of it, but any sexual abuse in a family is is well any sexual abuse period but any sexual abuse to that nature as far as incest is is rough it's a it's it's some but it's but it happens and more people should talk about it for sure but yeah he he nailed that um 
The next one that I saw, now I didn't see Bo. I know you saw that I one, saw so I'll Bo. let you talk about Bo a little bit more. But we both watched Munchausen. Munchausen. And uh, that one was incredible. The, wasn't it called like The Thing Troubling Mom or The Thing right. That Troubles Mom? The Thing That Troubles like Mom, that? but the basic, but it was called Munchausen. Right. If you go to search for it to watch it, it's called Munchausen. Um, you know, that took on a subject matter again that not a lot of people want to talk about. Uh, recently, you know, that Hulu show, The Act, has been in the news a lot because it tells a fictionalized version of the Gypsy Rose Blanchard story if you guys the i've heard the act is great and i do plan on watching it but if you guys really really want to there was hbo did a wonderful documentary about the show uh about the story and that really tells the truth behind it but um it's also a 2020 it's either 2020 or dateline it might have been dateline that did an episode on it where they interview um the daughter Gypsy Rose, Gypsy, yeah. yeah, it's it's good. It's her, very, very very good. Her mother was brutalizing her for years, making her think she was sick, and she wasn't. And um, this is also something that happens. Munchausen's by proxy is is is, is something has been going oldest time, and maybe not a lot of people knew necessarily what it was, but it's it's been done. There's been a lot of really well known cases about it. It's been in a lot of movies. Um, we were just talking about the sixth sense. It was mm-hmm. there was a scene in the sixth sense where the little girl was throwing up and he didn't understand and it was like, well, because her mother was well, actually it was her stepmother, I think it was, was making her sick. She was poisoning her food. And the only reason, well, in Munchausen, the only reason she was doing it was because she didn't want him to go to college. Well, and the real reason, yeah, in Munchausen, she, you know, this boy's imagining this life that he has and going off to college and meeting a beautiful girl and having this wonderful family. But his mom just does not want to let him go. She, cause it gets to a point in the vision where she sees herself alone. He's driving and, away. She yeah. sees herself alone. And she's like, and then it goes back to her standing there watching him pack for college. And she's right. just like, Oh no, this, she didn't say this, but it was basically, Oh no, this won't do. Nope. <laughs> and she starts poisoning him. Yep. And then he dies. Yep. Because she doesn't want him to go. And in the same, I love the way he shot in the same vein of the car driving away and her chasing after it in the vision. She did that at the end as the hearse was driving his body away. She's chasing after it. Mm -hmm. Again, very visceral, very visual, really eye-catching. Didn't really have to say a lot in dialogue. I don't think there was any dialogue. Yeah. It It was all music. I was going to say, if there was, I didn't notice because it really didn't need it. It was just, it was on such a deep level. To be able to tell a story like that, I think it was like six or seven minutes with no dialogue and you understand it, like that to me is extreme talent. To be able to tell a story that deep and no dialogue. And most of the time, Munchausen is done, most cases of Munchausen are so that the parent, usually a mother, or typically a mother, uh, can gain attention by her child having these quote-unquote illnesses, when in reality they're causing the illnesses, but they're causing the illnesses to get attention. Um, this movie was a little different. I mean, she, or this short was a little different. She she was trying to get attention, but she was trying to get, not outside attention, she was trying to get attention from her son. She didn't want her son to leave her. She wanted to be his main focus forever because she 
he became her whole life. She had nothing. She she felt like she had nothing but her but her son. So, so that one was really good. Too. That was another one that was just incredible. I think Bo was one of his first. I I personally liked Bo. I think or no, Bo was the one that was six minutes. Munchausen was fifteen, right or fourteen. Um, but Bo, Bo was about this guy who is about to leave his house. Forget something. So he opens the door, leaves his key in there to lock it, realizes he forgot something, walks back in, comes back down, the key's missing. So he's like, oh my God. Because it's uh-huh. shot like POV, right? No. Is it? Oh, it's not? It's not. Okay, okay. I've never seen Bo. I've, <laughs> I've read, I did read about it, but. It's not. Um, He walks outside and this guy starts running by and it's actually Ari Aster. I'm pretty sure it's him. Um, he runs by screaming, basically, you're fucked. And he's like, what? And he's like, you're fucked. And he's like, basically, he was just trying to ask him, did you see anybody walk by here? And he's like, huh, you're fucked, you're fucked, and runs by. And that was the end of it. And then he goes back inside and calls his mom. And his mom's like, everything's going to be fine. You're going to be fine. And he's like constantly day in and day out freaking out because he's like, someone has keys to my apartment. I like, I don't know what to do. So change the locks. No, I'm just kidding. Right? I mean, like, logical thing. But I guess it was just like a short period of time. It just seemed longer, but he just was constantly nervous. He's like, I don't know what to do. So um finally this this guy actually ends up coming in on him and tries to stab him, but when he stabs him, the knife goes like bends. Like when he stabs him in the stomach, the knife like bends and it stabs him. And then he dies, and he's like, the fuck? And I'm like, the fuck? So he calls his mom again, I guess who, who is actually his mom, and the, the camera's panning out, and you see all these keys on a desk, and then you see very hairy arms, like, doing something. And I was like, is this motherfucker a werewolf? Is that what this whole fucking thing is? This bitch is a werewolf? Because he's like, Mom, I you would never believe what just happened. And I was like, is this fucker a werewolf? Is that what's happening right now? I could be totally, totally wrong. Oh my god, no, I have to watch this. But I was like, um... So was he a werewolf? Was he Bigfoot? Like, what? It it had to have been werewolf. But, um, yeah. So it pans out of this person, like, and he's on the answering machine... Just talking away like, Mom, you won't believe what happened. And then you see all these keys and these extremely hairy arms are just working on something. And then it's over. (laughs) Okay. So, I don't think there was a deeper meaning there. (laughs) Doesn't sound like it. I think that was just a a short film. I think that was just something like, let's fuck around and just... Make something. I mean, it's for the hell of it. It's like six minutes. Watch it. It's great. It's it's, it's yeah. on YouTube. I, it's called Bo B E A U. It's uh, pretty great. I'll have to watch it if it's only a six minute watch because that sounds hysterical. I'll just be like, because the whole time the you're like nervous with him because you're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And then the whole knife like bends backwards, and then I'm like, okay, yeah, I have terrible anxiety. I would be like, what in the hell is happening? Like, where's my key? What's going on? So I can understand that on a level, but then yeah. you're like, wait, what? <laughs> like, was this bitch a werewolf? Is that I don't what's understand happening? what's happening. So yeah, there, <laughs> there you go. There's a synopsis of Bo. <laughs> <Very laughs> go watch it. 
All right, so we'll go ahead and get into Hereditary. 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 <laughs> um, so again, like we mentioned, Gabriel Byrne, Tony Collette are in it. Um, the two children in the movie, uh, Nate Wolf. Or Alex Wolf, I'm sorry. I totally screwed that up. I always mix him and his brother up. I apologize. Uh, Alex Wolf and um, Millie Shapiro played um, the daughter in the movie. Like, com- played Charlie, who completely... Oh, my God, she nailed that character. Yeah, um, she did. And this was her breakout role, too. This was her first role, and she floored it. Yeah, I that always amazes me when I see first-time actors in their first role, and they're, they just play a character that you you just on a level that you just can't even understand it and you're like are you serious this is this is really like your first major act I mean just nail it they nail it and she she did she nailed this character um the story starts so to get into how the movie starts out um Tony Collette plays uh Annie Gabriel Byrne plays Steve, Alex plays Peter, and of course Millie plays Charlie. And Annie's mother passes away. Um, her mother apparently is very secretive. Uh, they had kind of a love-hate relationship. She really didn't understand her mother. She had DID. Uh oh yeah. Her mother had time. DID. Um dissociative identity disorder. People don't people don't know what DID is. Um she uh yeah, so there was obviously the death was kind of something that she struggled with. Um, Especially because she also had a very, 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 very close relationship with Charlie, um, which is, there's a reason for that. Right. Um, but Charlie was to the point where she even asked, you know, her mom after she died, she said, who's going to take care of me? And her mom was like, uh, I'm going to take care of you. Like, what do you think? I guess, you know, because she has such a close relationship with her grandma that, and even Annie uses the term, like, she put her hooks in her. Well, I know Annie, when she, uh, so Peter is older than Charlie, and there's a part where Annie says that she purposefully let, purposefully would not let her mother anywhere near uh, Peter because of how her childhood was with her mother, but then she insisted with Charlie and essentially you just see, I know there's like family pictures they show at one time where it's like so many of the grandmother holding Charlie and nursing Charlie and just really coveting Charlie almost as if she was her own child. Um, Charlie you'll learn is, is a bit eccentric. Uh, it's almost as she's allergic to nuts. She's allergic in the movie. Um, but you almost gather that maybe she has special needs in a way. She's a little different. She, um, I would even fair to say that she's probably autistic. Yeah. There were a lot of, uh, there just, there were a lot of signs and symptoms of autism, maybe even spectrum that I could see with her, just the awkwardness kind of, you know, a few things. Um, and then she's got that thing that she does, which throughout the entire movie, I thought it was a nervous tick. I still, even after seeing it the second or third time, thought it was a nervous tick, but then, uh, Casper told me about an Easter egg and we'll tell you guys. And when you kind of put two and two together, you're like, oh, well, that's really why that, that sounds happening. In the movie. It didn't, but it, but it was put in very well because again, like you said, you, you're under the impression that she's special needs. So 
this tick, you're just thinking, well, maybe this is just a part of it. Because mm-hmm. people with, you know, lower forms of Tourette's make sounds like that, have nervous tics like that. So you could just think it went hand in hand with whatever else she, whatever else disorder that she had. Um, after Annie's mother passes away, a lot of really strange things start happening. Um, she starts seeing visions of her mother. She's, uh, we should also mention that Annie is a miniature artist. There was also an Easter egg that I saw about how if you pay attention to each scene, so she, she does miniatures of the, of her house, of herself, of her kids, of her mother. And if you pay attention as you're watching the movie, each scene that she creates actually kind of tells you what's going to happen before it happens. It kind of, it foreshadows and, Please, if you've only seen the movie one time and didn't want to give it another shot, like I'd watch it again and pay really close attention to those parts because you'll you'll go wait a fucking minute. Like it'll it rings a bell because you're like I saw that happen. Yeah, big time. Yeah, like wait a minute. So um, even pause it on the miniature and like look at the rooms at what's happening. It's crazy. (laughs) Well, I know one of the. What's one of the first things that starts? What's one of the first? I think uh, they get the phone call that her mother's grave was desecrated. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of one of the first kind of weird yeah. things. Um, Annie starts visiting a um, a grief counseling group. Uh, her family knows nothing about it. She leaves and says she's going to movies, but she starts going to this grief counseling group. Um, she meets a woman named Joan, uh, oh, Joan. that she really... that. She kind of befriends Joan. Joan tells her this story, tells her the story later on about how she lost her son and her grandson in a really horrific accident. But um, Joan really becomes a comfort to Annie. Uh, and then she just kind of starts popping up all over the place. And you're like, well, who well, is before, she really? Before Joan actually reaches out and talks to her about the grandchild dying, um, she loses charlie because oh that's right so she starts originally going for her mother for her mother and yeah then, and then she kind of um, stopped she kind of stopped going and yeah. started working more on her miniatures on the miniatures and right. then charlie charlie uh peter comes in and he goes mom there's a there's a party at school i want to go to peter's a pretty average 16 year old yeah he's you know, he likes girls he listens to music he smokes weed <laughs> me, peter, peter me is at 16 a... peter was me at 16 <laughs> She likes girls. She I like girls. Smoke weed. Smoke weed every day. I was pretty much like Peter in high school. This, kinda, this part I didn't actually really agree with. I didn't actually like that this happened, but, you know, I guess it's because you and I she just... agreed on that. I guess she just kind of felt like she wanted Charlie to be included, which I, I get that, but um, he asks her if he can go, and she's, you know, being a mom. Will there be drinking? Will there this and that? And then she's like, does your sister want to go? And well, he lies to her and tells her it's some after school thing, but it's right. not. It's like a house party. Kids are drinking. All I love how she goes, kids. is there going to be drinking? And he goes, even if we wanted to drink, we aren't old enough. And she's like, that's not what I asked. That's not what I asked you. <laughs> I asked you if you were going to be drinking. Like, like mom, mom knows what's up. Mom knows. <laughs> so um, then she goes, well, did you ask your sister? Excuse me, if she wants to go. And he goes, I don't know, does she? And she's like, did you ask her? Meanwhile, Charlie is outside with the head of a bird that died from school that she cut off with scissors and is walking, just walking towards 
well, you, what you see is nothing because you don't see anything yet. And she's just walking towards something, and then all of a sudden the camera shows fucking grandma out <laughs> in the field by a fire, and you're like, what in God's name? Mm-hmm. And then here comes mom running outside. You can't be outside with no shoes! Mom. <laughs> mom. And um, I'm like, no, I guess no one noticed fucking grandma over here doing sacrifices to the devil. If that's what was happening, I don't know what was happening. But, um, so she comes in, and then Charlie's you like... You don't just have bonfires in a field for no reason? I mean... <laughs> wasn't she naked? I think was she, she was. naked, too? I think, I think she was naked. naked. Um, they come inside, and she goes, Charlie, do you want to go to this party? And Charlie's like, no. Like, Charlie has no... Uh, absolutely not. And then she's like, you're gonna go. And she basically forces Charlie to go, which I did not like that, because I'm like, first of all, it's a teenage party. Why the f- I mean, Charlie's 13, but... She's 13, not 16 or 17. I don't know if this played a role either, and I don't even know if they discussed this before, but there's a bone of contention between Annie and Peter. Mm -hmm. There was something that happened when Peter was a kid that really created a shift between them. Uh, Annie used to sleepwalk a lot. Uh, This is brought up throughout the movie quite a bit, and there was a... uh, I think this might have even been before Charlie was born. It was before Charlie was born, I think. Peter was a little, little boy, and he woke up to... She was holding... Had she poured the paint thinner on him? Or she was holding the I can of paint thinner? I think she was just thinner. holding it. So he woke up when he was a little boy, and she was holding a can of paint thinner and uh, matches in the other hand. And it scared them both. So I think... Well, he screamed, yeah, and that actually woke, woke her, up. her up. Yeah. The dad came in. So it's, it's, Peter's always had this, I, th- I think there's been a, vi- there's been a strain in the relationship between him and Annie for a long time since that happened. Mm-hmm. So I think Annie has really tried to do whatever she can to make up for that. And I don't think Peter ever gave her a shot. I just, it just was, some, which I don't, as a child, I can't blame him. I don't even know how traumatic that would be to wake up. Well, to I don't think like they ever that. talked about it. Either, right. Which it's is just, the problem. With a lot of families. What do we go back to? Tracy <laughs> about Johnson's like fucked up things happen and you don't fucking talk about it. Well, you could definitely tell this was a family that didn't talk about shit. Yeah, and no. Annie made the point of saying during the funeral that her mother was such a private she said that she almost felt like it was an intrusion being there talking about her mother yeah. in front of all these people. Like she her was mother so would not have liked that because she was so private. Um, so yeah, I think there's there's always been this really strange relationship with Annie and Peter. I think there's just been a lot of strain in that whole family. <laughs> to let's just with. let's just get real. There was so much dysfunction <laughs> from the start. I'm like, oh my god, how is this family barely holding on? Um, so anyway, Peter does take Charlie to the party. Uh, this girl he likes is there. They decide to go in the other room, smoke some weed, as teenagers do. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, he, Charlie <laughs> does not, oh, God bless you. Yeah. I was trying. That's I was awesome. trying really No, you did very well. <laughs> um, they just have to come out. Sneeze is just, you can't <laughs> hold them. Um, Charlie did not want to be alone. She was like, absolutely not. And he's like, no, no, look, they're, pat- she likes chocolate. You see her. With chocolate bars a lot. Yeah, she loves chocolate. And they're always like, is there nuts in that? You know, because she's, you know, 
allergic. Well, it just so happens that they were passing out chocolate cake at the party, and Peter's like, go get the cake, okay? Well, you see in the beginning that the girl's chopping up walnuts because it's German chocolate cake, and you're like, oh, fuck. So when you see Charlie eat it, you already know in your head, like, okay, something about to be fucked up you because she's allergic to- You can see the nuts to, in it, though. Right? I'm like, how does this bitch not see these nuts? I don't even know if she's never seen- I don't, Maybe she's never had German chocolate cake, maybe but not. I've had German chocolate cake, and you can- very much see all of the These walnuts nuts? That are in it. <laughs> Got him. There's a lot of lot of nuts. Sorry, that was a fine. It's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm like that's what I haven't seen. Um. So immediately when she eats it, she feels like something's wrong. She busts into the room and she tells Peter that it feels like her uh, throat is swelling up. Yeah. Well, and essentially what is happening is she's going into anaphylactic shock. Yeah. Her throat is closing and she can't breathe. So he carries her in a panic. Remember, he's high as fuck, probably been drinking a little bit, and he's also a nervous wrecking and his sister's dying. So he's speeding, 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 trying to get to a hospital. Charlie's Before in the back suffocating. Part, can we just talk about how much, how shocking this part was? Like, did you absolutely just, like, stop breathing? Yeah, I, stopped I didn't breathing. really know what to do. I, uh... <laughs> So he's driving and uh, she rolls down the window because she's trying to get air. And uh, he sees, was it a deer in the road? I think it was a deer. So he sees a dead deer in the road. He swerves and uh, Charlie's head gets completely taken off by a telephone pole. So she was decapitated. Um, like real decapitated. He, I, like, I just kind of sat, yeah, I did. I just kind of sat there and I went, I think the look that he had on his face was the look I had on my face. Like, I did. Yeah, so that was a moment of pure shock, and I, I literally went. I was in the. Th- did you go see it in theaters? Yeah, you did. Yeah, I literally went. I saw it, <gasps> and the whole theater was just silent. Now I didn't do that until they actually showed her fucking head, and I was not expecting. That. Oh, so, I didn't either. I was like, "Whoa!" That's when I. That's when I fucking went. Whoo! Like that's. I was. I was fucked up because I knew what just happened. And I don't appreciate people going like, well, he didn't seem like... Okay, can we talk about this part for a second, though? Because everyone gives Peter so much shit. What if you were driving and your fucking sister just... Drunk and high and your fucking... And you just... And your fucking sister's head just chopped off. And her body's just laying in the back. Her body's just laying there. So what are you going to do? Like, what are you... So that's... I, when you told me that, I was so upset that there were actual people like, well, I didn't appreciate his reaction. I don't, I don't know if I would appreciate have your better. reaction. I don't appreciate your reaction. <laughs> Take that. Right? Like, how no, but for real, he was in shock. Not only was he drunk and he, I don't think he was drunk. I think he was just I think really he was high. high. Fuck. But I just, to go home and to just go through the motions. For him to be so in shock. I don't know if I would have done anything. I would have been like, did that happen? Did that happen? And then like go to bed and be- wake up and be like, was that a dream or was that real? And yeah, then unfortunately I- he wakes up to his mother wailing. Just and can I just screaming. say that I noticed, and we'll get, I know we're going to get into Midsummer, but that was something that I noticed more after watching Hereditary again after seeing Midsummer, is the the grief the the reaction to the, the gr- wailing of the grief in those movies just that 
Oh my god. Florence Pugh and uh, Tony Collette, you guys fucking nailed that. I personally have never been through something that tragic, but I feel like that was the reaction you would have. It like, is. That that was both of you. Like when you're at the beginning of Midsummer when Florence is wailing and then at the in that part after Charlie dies when she fucking finds her body in the car and then, you know, Tony's wailing. I feel like that was appropriate. I did that after my mom died. I did that after I got the call that my mom was dead. Yeah, you just, because it's a pain that you don't, I feel like you're you're hearing that pain. That is what you're hearing. You're hearing a very, you're hearing an audible response to a physical pain that is so indescribable that the only way that you can let out that pain is with a wail. Like it's not, it's not even a scream. It's not even a cry. It's, it's just a wail Mm -hmm. because it's the only way that you can get that. That pain is so overwhelming. It hurts so bad that you don't know any other way to get it out, but for that to come out. So I, I will say bravo to Ari Aster with Florence Pugh and Midsummer and Tony Collette in that part specifically in Hereditary, just conveying what that grief sounds like because I think anybody that watches those movies that's either I've always said losing a child and losing a parent are two of the worst things that you could ever go through because they're holes in your heart that will never be filled you have that one child nobody will replace that child you have that one parent nobody will replace that parent so that that you, poor woman lost you have that both. hole forever like you're oh my god she, lost and both she in a literally week. lost her mom and then boom her daughter it's like I, she can't go through much more than this, but she does. And, <laughs> and then we're led then to going back to the, this. now we're going back to the meetings and this is where she kind of gets closer to Joan. Yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> and then that's when Joan tells her the story about losing her son and her grandson. Because she's trying to relate so they can be friends. Right. Because she wants to be friends because reasons. Well, then she <laughs> invites, she decides to go over to Joan's house. Joan gives her her number. Uh, she's paying, she's like, you know, let me go over and, and visit with her. Well, she does. And um, now is this when she shows her the, no. okay. This is okay. just kind of when they go over and talk. Right. And that's when she noticed that the mat in front of her door was exactly like ones her mom used to make. And she right. even pointed it out. She's like, my mom used to make ones like these. And she was like, oh, cool. So this is just them at the time having a discussion about what happened. and Also, I think the best scene in this entire movie is the one pretty much, I think, right after that where they're having dinner. Oh, my and God. Yeah. I mean, there were Peter there were constantly is like, just say what you want to say. And she just lets him have yeah, it. Yeah, that's... Okay, so there were, there were some really key scenes for me in this movie that just hit. It was when Annie was just wailing the death from the death of Charlie when this scene and then the one uh when her and uh oh my gosh I just had her husband's name Steve when her and Steve get into it at the end when he's like I need you to burn the book and the whole thing like when it gets to that part those were she she just went off she's like I I can't I, I just can't do this anymore. I'm I'm trying. I've been try- trying. And when she's like, you've always got that stupid 
face on your face. You got a stupid face on your face. <laughs> I was like, I really don't want to laugh, but that was. You've always got this stupid face on your face. Bitch, that's my face. There's been so many times I've wanted to say that to people. And you know what I'm talking about. Just certain people that you just, you may like work with them or just like, you know. You've just, just always got this stupid face They just always have face. this fucking face on their face. And you're just like. That was an amazing scene though. Oh, it was incredible. Because it was finally all coming out. You know, we're making the point of saying this family kept so many secrets and didn't talk about anything. She's like, I am tired of the secrets. I'm tired of keeping this in. Well, he kept telling her over and over. He's like, Mom, just say it. And even Steve was like, Peter, stop. And I'm like, let her, like, he's clearly trying to get her to say it, to get it out. Because he's like, you just seem like you have something to say. And boy, she had something to say. (laughs) And she's like, you know, I wish I could take the pain away from you, but I can't. She's clearly being a caring mother, even letting it out. Right. It's just, just like you said, there's that rift between them. She's angry with him, but she... Because she's like, you're, the, the thing, when it comes down to it, your daughter is dead, and you did that. Your sister. His yeah, your sister. Right. Your, your sister dead. is dead, and yes, you did, you did, it. did that, you but, it was, but, but you it was an accident. Right, right. So she's, like, trying to even get him to try to realize what he did. You have to accept this. Like, you have to accept it. Right. You didn't mean to do it, but you have to accept this. So pretty much right after that is when she goes to the store, and that's when Joan finds her. And she's like, oh, my God, we have to contact your daughter. because but That was just <laughs> too weird that Joan, like, just so happened to be at the same grocery store. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. You're like. Right mm-hmm. after that happened earlier that day. Yeah. It's like, okay, I see where you're going here. So she goes back to Joan's apartment. And then that's when Joan shows her these rich, this ritual of these words you have to say. And, uh, first of all, if you don't know, okay. If you don't know what you're saying, don't say it. Okay. So I need everybody to take a little lesson from evil dead. (laughs) And if you don't know, look, if you don't know what the fuck it says, then don't say it. Then don't say it. Don't say it. Even if you think you're going to contact a lost loved one, don't say it. It's because more than likely you're not. Yeah, yeah. You open Especially that Especially if it's in a language it. you don't know. Yeah, then just don't say it. Just don't say it. So she tells her these these words to say, and then all of a sudden, like, shit starts getting real. She pulls out the chalkboard. She's talking to her grandson. The grandson writes, I love you, grandma, to her. Well, she's telling you that it's the grandson. <laughs> and When uh, everybody that watches horror on a regular is like, mm-hmm. and I need your grandson. <laughs> uh, well, Annie starts freaking out by this. She can't. It's a little overwhelming. She can't handle it. It's it's just, it's too much for her to deal with. And uh, now does she, what, I'm trying to remember. She runs out and she goes home. And then she ends up, um, this is the night that Peter had that nightmare of her coming into his room. I'm sorry. She has the nightmare of her going into his room and basically being like, I wish you were never born. I tried to abort you, all this crazy ass shit. And you're like, please tell me this is a dream. And then um, ends up waking up from that dream. And then it being another dream where she's trying to, again, kill him. Because they're covered in paint thinner. They're both, yeah. As they're both covered As she's in, telling him this, they're both covered in paint thinner. And then she wakes up and it's like almost two in the morning. And that's when she decides to do it. She decides to do the ritual herself. 
And then that's when she goes and does it. And then she conjures up not Charlie. <laughs> Um, well, don't, don't the, um, cause Charlie's got this book that she's always drawing in uh-huh. and is that when it starts? That was is her, um, that was her connection because the chalkboard was Joan's connection to her grandson. Right. The book that Charlie was always drawing in was her connection to Charlie. So apparently she gets it to work. She goes and wakes up Peter and she goes and wakes up Steve and she's like, you guys have to do this with me cause it works. And then yeah, and Steve it, it is like, up, I'm, I'm just so fed up. And it ends up working, and Steve is like, what the fuck? And she gets possessed for a hot second. Because, well, all because all of a sudden it's like, mommy? Mommy? Because it's Charlie's voice coming yeah. out of her mouth, and Peter starts flipping the fuck out. Like, and she's stop. like, what's going on? And please stop, please stop, and... please stop. Like, he's yelling, Ooh. please stop. And then the dad takes water and throws on her. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, what the fuck was that for, basically? And he's like, you've got to stop this. Like... Because Peter was incredibly traumatized. Now, he was starting to see some fucked up... Was this when he started seeing some fucked this up This is, shit? like, after he started seeing some fucked up shit. Because remember he thought Charlie was standing in the corner of his room, and then... It, Her like, fucking head rolls off, and, and it, it ends up being a ball. ball. And I was like, what? what? And by the way, he always hears... Around him. Yeah. Even when Charlie is dead, he always yeah, hears... even after she dies. Around he, him. Yeah. My... Just... Did you scare the shit out of yourself? <laughs> Guys, there's a mirror. There's a mirror in this room. Oh god, I totally <laughs> forgot about the mirrors. Oh and my I god. moved I moved my foot and I thought my foot was something, but it was just my foot in the mirror. And I'm about cuz I literally was just like, yeah, he keeps her in his room and I'm like, "Oh. <laughs> Guys, look, there have been times where we've done podcasts like this where like legit after the podcast, I'm still like kind of scared." Like, cause I know the night after I didn't tell you this, but the night after we recorded the conjuring, actually, yeah, that night after we recorded the conjuring, I went to bed and woke up and it was three o'clock in the morning. Fuck. And that. I was like, <laughs> I have to go back to sleep before 307. You're like, I will not be awake for 307. Fuck you, bitch, Sheba. Like, <laughs> I was like, really, really? I like ran to my bathroom, like peed real quick, ran back. I was like, "Oh, I hate it when is I not wake up between three and four in the fucking morning, and I gotta fucking pee." I'm like, "We can wait. We can wait till tomorrow. Like, we're not gonna do this. I am now. not. I am not. We're not gonna do this right now. Because the last time happen. I did that, I was being drawn to the living room, and I'm like, we're not going through that again. <laughs> nope, we're not doing this. <laughs> nope. Like, why? Why is this happening? Yeah. So anyway." Was- that was hilarious. I totally forgot about the damn mirror. <laughs> scared my sh- scared the shit out scared of myself. Scared myself for no fucking reason. Um, but yeah, so he keeps hearing that around him. And even when he's at school, he's starting to see some fucked up shit. He was looking in um, the reflection of something at his school. And it was smiling back at him. It was him, but it was smiling at him. And so clearly you're like, okay, something's wrong with Peter. Like the movie, we need to talk about Kevin. We need to talk about Peter. <laughs> and literally, like the whole time, nothing's happening to Steve. He's he's just on the. I think he's just on the verge of saying, "Fuck this family, I'm out." Like he's so dumb. I felt so he's... bad for Steve. Honestly, like through this whole movie, I was like, "This guy, it's like just get a divorce and call it quits, dude. Like get the fuck out while you still can." <laughs> like, just... Well, at one point, finally, like after he's like all crazy, oh. He's at school, and he gets possessed. Well, and prior to that, I wanted to bring up real quick about Steve. When Steve, 
we, we talked about him getting the phone call that there was something wrong with Annie's mom's grave. Well, then right. Steve gets an email from the funeral home, and it was pictures, um, I guess, to file a claim and for insurance. And the pictures, it wasn't desecrated. Like, her whole entire body was dug up. But he never tells Annie about this. No, he, he never tells her about this. But yeah, the mother's body's actually missing at this point. Like, it's gone. And he's like, what? <laughs> and then after that, we see the scene with uh, Peter in school. And then he... So while Peter's at school and this shit is happening, Annie is actually going up in the attic. What, do you remember why she decided to go up in the attic? Like, what made her do that? I'm trying to remember what made her decide to do that. Well, I think she was she was looking through her mother's things at first. And then that's when she started putting, because prior to that, she started putting two and two together. She found the the floor mat. She found the, the floor mats that she made for the kids. And the one that was supposed to be for Charlie said Charles on it. And you're like, okay, clearly Charlie was a girl, not a boy. And then you see the books that her mother had that had the emblem from the necklace that was, that her mother was, that her mother was wearing, that Joan also had in her home. And then, um, one of the books talked about uh, Payman. Now, Payman is an actual... Now, they didn't change the spelling like James Wan did for Valak and the Nun and the Conjuring, but uh, Payman is an actual demon. He he is an actual demon. He is a lesser demon. He's one of the ninth... He's one of the ninth... If you, if, I forget what, what book discusses it, but he's one of the ninth lesser demons below the devil. Um and uh, he needs to, if he is to be conjured, it has to be with a with a male host. And that was something that was brought up in the book that Annie was reading. Well, um, wasn't it said at one point that, I think Charlie said it when she said, Grandma wished I was a boy. And then that's kind of when you're putting two and two together as to why she wanted her to be a boy. She wanted her to be a boy. Yeah. Because even though Peter was a boy, Annie wouldn't let her near Peter. Exactly. So that's why she wanted <coughs> Charlie. <coughs> she me, got Charlie her hooks into Charlie because she wanted that. Ultimately, what her we we find out her mom is a fucking devil worshiper, and her mom was basically using the family and was trying to use the kids to summon this demon. I think she was actually well. Take that back. I think her mother. Now her mother Annie talked about. We kind of skimmed over this too. When Annie went to the support group first after her mom died, she talked about how her brother killed himself because he said, mom kept trying to put things in me. He said there were things inside of me. So I think that the mother was trying to do this to her son. I think she was trying to put payment into her son. The son flipped out, killed himself. And then she couldn't do it to Annie because Annie was a girl and payment needs a male host. So when Annie had Peter, that's who she originally wanted. But Annie's like, you're staying the fuck. You done fucked me up enough as a kid. You're staying away from Peter. But then Charlie comes along. And once her mom is actually able to be around Charlie, Charlie is the one that she really sinks her teeth into, even though Charlie wasn't meant to be the host. But Charlie actually was the host. Yes. Like the demon payment was in Charlie. Like yeah. even when you're seeing her at the beginning, payment is in Charlie. When you hear those Ari Aster stated that those were actually a sign of the demon. So when you hear Charlie making the sounds, that's payment. When you start hearing, when Peter starts hearing the sounds, that's payment. That's the demon. That's not Charlie. It's Charlie not was just stick. a host for 
payment. Yep. That's, that's what she was. That was her intention. Um, so I can't exactly remember what drew her to the attic to going into the attic, but, but she um, opens the attic door and she, it's like flies and she's like, Oh God, that smell. And then ends up going upstairs into the attic and finding her mother's body. I think she was just trying to find some more of her mother's possessions yeah. to kind of, but then that's when she ends up finding the same, she finds the symbols written in blood on the wall, the same symbol that's on the necklace that was in Joan's home and finds her mom's dead body. Really, really yeah, decomposed. Yeah, like really decomposed. Like, ew. <laughs> like, ew. <laughs> And while this is happening, Peter is off getting possessed at school and breaking his nose. He, like, it possessed him and then slammed his head on the table and broke his nose. He's, of course, freaking the fuck out. And uh, his dad comes and gets him. They bring him home. And then uh, she... Yeah, she has no idea what's going on. She has no idea. She comes outside and she's like, oh my god, what's going on? And he's like, he broke his nose. And she said, how? And he said, he did it himself. And she's like... What? <laughs> yeah, because in the meantime, she's trying to tell Peter about the sketchbook, about uh, the writings that she thought it was Charlie, but now she realized it wasn't Charlie, about all the stuff that her mom was into. And then she tells Peter that, uh, or Steve rather, to go up in the attic, just please. And he's like, fine. So he goes up in the attic and sees the dead body up there and is like, you did this. Yeah. You did this. Now, this is when Annie first finds out that he knew that her mother's body had been missing because of the emails that he had gotten from the from the uh, funeral home. But he accused her, oh, yeah, all those nights, because he's mentioning Joan. She keeps saying Joan, and he's like, who is Joan? <laughs> and he's like, all these nights that you were saying you were going out, that's what you did. I don't know what this is. Like, he had just had it. By that point, he felt like she had just completely lost her mind He's got his son to worry about, and he just didn't want to deal with it anymore. And she's trying to tell him, hey, this sketchbook had pictures of, you know, Peter in it, you know, with him, you know, basically dying. Like, not him, but, like, his his face, and it had X's through his eyes, like he was dead. And she's like, you know, I thought they were Charlie, but they're not. I just found, like, all of the stuff my mom was into. I just, I conjured up something in this house, and everything that's happening right now is my fault. She completely takes responsibility for everything, and she's like, I didn't know what I was doing, but she's like, I'm trying to, can you please help me make this right? And she tells him, she's like, you need to burn this book, because when I tried to burn it before, which she did, she tried to burn it, and it caught her arm on, on her arm on sleeve. It caught her sleeve on her arm on fire, so she couldn't burn it, because she's like, if I burn it, it's going to burn me. And I, you know, can you please do this for me? And he just holds the book and looks at her, and he's like... I'm not going to feed into this anymore. All yeah. this is doing is encouraging you. Right. Yada, yada, yada. Basically, she just gets so mad that he won't listen to her. She's she, like, oh, God, fine. She goes over to him, picks, picks up the thing, and chucks it in the fire, and he catches on fire. Bursts into flames. Like, his whole body just bursts into flames. And then sh this moment was, like, incredible for Tony Collette anyway for her acting. But she, like, is upset, and within a second, she's like, possessed i mean you well, can tell too because she's crying and then it looks like she's screaming but you don't hear anything come out of her mouth and then all of a sudden i do you hear the 
when it happens, or do you do I don't something? Know. I don't See, I don't remember, remember what, what did it, but it's like, all of a sudden, she's standing there, tears, she's got her mouth open with this just look of terror on her face, and then it's almost some, it's almost like within a snap, she's just like, dead face. I mean, just like, dead. Like, my husband's on numb. fire! I don't care. Numb. I don't care. Like, just totally oblivious. And at that point, so, that's when yeah. you know it's the demon. You know it's payment. Her husband's just on fire, chilling, and laying down his barbecuing. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned this either, that the connection with Joan. I don't think I mentioned it. So, with those books where she finds about payment, she also finds a photo album and Joan is in the photo album, like tons of pictures with Joan and her mother and this whole ceremony where her mother was at a crown on in this white dress and they're dropping money on her. Like essentially her mother was like the queen of this fucking cult apparently. Um, so after she's possessed, uh, Steve is burnt to a crisp. Um, Peter he wakes up. He thought someone was barbecuing. Yeah, he did. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus, it's a far. <laughs> it's a far. He didn't grab oh, his God. shoes or nothing, Jesus. He didn't even run for his life. <laughs> and that smoke, it got him. And he got brought. He got us. Bro- Ain't nobody got time for nobody that. got time for that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, that was perfect. I love uh, it. Anyway. Oh, my God. So Peter wakes <laughs> up at this point, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah, and he does. Like, real fucked up. He don't know what's going on. If you're lighting on your DVD on your DVD or whatever you're watching this on, I have noticed that if the lighting is bad, you cannot see. Yeah, it just so happens our lighting on our TV was really good. Yeah, your lighting was really, really good because in the theater I couldn't see her as well as I could I, on your I TV. I couldn't either. I didn't notice. So what we're what we're talking about is, is like when he wakes up, it pans. It's it's on his face, but then it pans away, and uh, Annie is up in the fucking corner. <laughs> She's chilling. Just She's chilling, hanging like hanging in the fucking corner. I was like, what? So I didn't notice it in the theater either because it was too dark. But watching it on my TV later, I was like, huh? And she hangs there for quite like, like, some She's while. like chilling there for quite some time <laughs> while, while he's trying to figure out what the fuck is going on. So the camera turns to a different angle and this motherfucker is swimming. She's swimming. I thought she was crawling across the wall the first time I see it because that's when I saw her. But right. she's actually like doggy paddling <laughs> through the air. <laughs> It would have been better if she was crawling on the wall, honestly. I'm like, you're legitimately swimming. She's swimming through the air. I was like, that's kind of cool, though. I wish I could could do that. I kind of wish I could do that. Just swim through the air. So, um, (laughs) he goes downstairs, sees dad is burnt to a crisp, and then all of a sudden, mom busts out of somewhere, scares the shit out of him, chases him upstairs. He ends up in the attic... And he's like, mommy, stop, 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 stop. And here's this bang. She's banging her fucking head like, against the attic door, like, repeatedly. Literally, this is the speed it's happening. And I'm like, <laughs> what in the fuck is happening? Well, then it stops. Well, the mom, the mom's dead body, the grandmother's dead body's gone at this point. But um, all of a sudden, you're like, oh, there's a naked dude in the corner. There's like, a lot the of naked people like, randomly naked people. Like, randomly. you just watch the background. There's just naked well, people all over the, the place. the part that was really cool. Now, when... I forgot about this because some people, if you didn't notice this, when after uh, Steve is burnt and then Tony Collette goes from like hysterical to boom, demon possessed, when it goes from day to night, you see 
all these bodies outside the house. Like, I actually didn't notice that until you and I watched it the other day. Yeah. That when it goes from, like, day to, boom, night, if you notice around the house, you'll see all these naked people standing in the yard of the house. Because that's like, not alarming. Oh, okay. Ari has, Ari Aster has no problems with naked people in his movies. No, so he does not. We, we're, that's, okay. Um, <laughs> nope, no problems with nudity no problems. there. So, uh, Peter sees, he's like, he, this poor guy has no idea what the fuck's going he on. He doesn't see the naked people, by the he way. He doesn't, he see, doesn't them. see them. They're just kind of in the shadows. Um, well, then he starts... Mm-hmm. Oh my god, this is is probably the worst part in any movie I've ever had trouble with in my entire fucking life. This motherfucking bitch. Yeah, long story short, Annie cuts her head off with a uh, wire. With a piano wire. And I don't mean just a quick, like, slit. I mean, like, sawing. And you can hear it. You can fucking hear it. And she's just dead-faced. And she's just doing it. And staring right at him the whole... Time. I honestly have never seen... Now, what was that Japanese horror? You know which one I'm talking about. The girl... She cut the guy's fucking leg off with that thing. I mean, like, that... I oh, have... I know what Oh, you know which one I'm talking yeah. about, too. It's... And you guys will know what I'm talking about if you've heard of it. It is... It is... It's, it's one of these... Jap- I don't... I don't appreciate it. Audition. <laughs> It's called yep, Audition. Audition. That movie, oh, that movie's actually wow. set in like Cannibal Holocaust. Like it's a really hard to watch movie. It's very um, that's a very disturbing. It's disturbing. Yeah, that movie's rough. Um, yeah, yeah so she a, saws her fucking head off with a piano wire and is just like, yeah, like I said, I have not seen anything any more fucked up than that specific scene in Audition. And if you guys have seen it, you'll know what the fuck I'm talking about. But, I mean, just the fact in that movie, she does it to somebody else. This bitch is sitting there doing it to herself in front of her son. Just floating up in the air. Just floating. Just doing a float. She's like, I'm just hanging out. Well, when the head falls off, um, Peter looks in the corner and he sees three of the naked people just standing there staring at him, smiling. And he fucking jumps out the window. He's like, like, I'm done. Done. Out. I'm done. Totally done. Done. Um, He wakes up. That's when he goes, and you're like, and that's when you're like, oh, this motherfucker's possessed. Oh, and then he looks, he looks at the treehouse, and there's mama's body. Yeah, I couldn't help but laugh. I don't don't know if at that point I was just in such shock after what I had been watching that when I saw this headless floating body going up towards the treehouse, I was like. That's a normal everyday thing you see. I, I mean, like, it's it's very common. Huh? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know why. I think I, I laughed honestly, too. I think at that point I it was just a nervous laugh because yeah. I was in. I was like, I don't understand what's happening right now. I was like, huh? um, so he ends up there, and um, there's Joan. There's all these other cult members. There's his grandmother's headless corpse, rotting corpse, bent down, praising, and it's this effigy of payment with charlie's head on it with the uh as casper so lovingly referred to it as the burger king crown i totally did not know this until i watched it again i was like holy shit it is a fucking burger king crown that's hysterical um and they're all would you like to be queen of payment just burger king put on burger king crown there you go uh mom's headless corpses bowing down they're all bowing down 
Um, and then that's when you hear Joan's voice tell him, like, it's okay, Charlie. And then that's when you realize this is not Peter anymore. This is Charlie. And she's telling him that this is the body that you were always meant to be in, meaning that payment was supposed to pass over to a male. And that's when she tells the story of payment. And they're like, oh, great payment as they're worshiping him. And that's, that's it. The end of the movie. By the way, the musical climax in that part was really cool, too, about how it like kept building and building and building and building. And they were all like, oh, it was like Valak music. Oh, <laughs> so disturbing. Um, yeah, that was. So that was hereditary. It was hereditary. 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 <laughs> so I will say the first time I saw it, I enjoyed it. I just, because it was so different. Um, watching it again and and piecing together little things in it really made me appreciate it even more. It was just It's amazing, stunning. guys. It's a, it's a beautiful movie, too. Yes. The imagery is amazing in this movie. Yeah. His cinematographer is, woo! Well, the production company A24 that was behind um, Midsummer and Hereditary is also the producers of Euphoria, which is an incredible show on HBO that has a lot of similar imagery in it in certain scenes. Um, And it was just incredible. It was just incredible. I mean, you can tell that this guy studied Kubrick, that he studied a lot of directors and cinematographers that really pay attention to camera angles and panning away and fly over scenes and yeah I mean it really the lighting everything really 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 put the story together and again phenomenal acting phenomenal acting those specific scenes between Tony Collette and Gabriel Byrne especially were just and he actually said when he wrote Midsummer and Hereditary he wrote them relatively close together right. he was filming Midsummer. When Hereditary came out. Oh, wow. So he's like, I didn't even really get to... Like, people were like, Hereditary's blowing up. And he's like, I don't have time. <laughs> I'm <laughs> making Midsummer. <laughs> Can we <have> right now? Because <laughs> he split his time between Sweden and... Uh, I think, was it... Or was it wasn't filmed in Sweden. It was filmed in... Uh, that was an amazing sound. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> everybody's listening like, what? I think it was filmed what in was Hungary. Too? I don't know why I thought it was actually filmed in Sweden. I know it's um Oh well okay. Yeah, so it was filmed movie... in Budapest. Okay, so the the movie the the, well, the movie of the film Sweden. is is takes place in yes, Sweden. But it was the filmed in film Hungary. was shot in Hungary. Okay, in Budapest specifically. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Because he even said he was like, You've got people on set speaking English, you got people on set speaking Hungarian, you got people on set sing- speaking Swedish, and he's like only one person could speak all three of them. So he's like, it was stressful. Oh my god, I could only please Um so, again, so if you want to stop, yep, stop. Because we're about to talk about Midsummer, so... Yeah, we're gonna have a few spoilers here, guys. Um, so it starts off about this uh, girl named Danny. She's a college student. Um, she's dating this guy named Christian. Um, Who she... is not very Christian. Oh, he's a dick. Uh, to say the least. <laughs> not as big um, as a dick Not as big as his friend. Who you're so happy. Um... <laughs> the guys, fool. there's been a lot of deaths in certain movies that I'm just like... Oh, it so makes you feel character. good when it happens. Yeah, like you just hate that character so much that you're like, I hope they die at the end. And then they do. And you're like, yay. You're like, yes. 
Yes. <laughs> so happy. Um, so uh, Danny has, um, you can tell that she suffers from a lot of emotional trauma. She has a lot of, you can even tell herself that maybe she has a bit of depression. Her sister definitely has depression. Her sister's suicidal. The beginning pretty much marks her sister s- sends her crazy emails all the time. She gets this one from her. She's really worried about her. Long story short, her sister actually does commit suicide and kills her parents. Um, I don't personally want to give away how, because I really think you need to watch the movie and see, because it is brutal. It is Um, brutal. That, whoa. Uh, Very inventive way of killing someone and killing yourself. I've never seen before, but yeah. Yeah, I would much rather people, well, oh. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you have. Yes, I have. If you didn't hear my yes, whisper. I have. Yes, I have. <laughs> I was You're like, right. yeah, I even said it in the theater. I was like, like, this reminds me of this. Girl. I'm like, oh, that's right. <laughs> I stand corrected. Yes. Yes, I have. Yes, Maybe I have. not to that extent uh, no. of brutality. Right. No. But, but same Close premise. enough. Close enough. Same, same premise. premise. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I really encourage people to see it. You and when you, know, when you see it, if you've seen the other thing, you'll know. You'll know what you'll I'm go, talking oh, about. Um, so... As this, in- so after this incident happens, and again, this is the one I was telling you about where Florence Pugh, who plays Danny's character, is just letting out this horrific screaming wail after her, after she finds out what happens, and it's just absolutely devastating. Devastating. I feel like Loki, um, I'm going to start getting obsessed with her. Oh my gosh. So, she did such an amazing job in this movie. She really did. She <laughs> nailed it. I was really not familiar with this actress prior to this movie, but I'm I'm really wanting to see what she does next because she nailed this character. Nailed it. Um, Christian is planning a trip with, he'd actually been planning the trip prior with uh, his friends Mark, Josh, and Pele. Pele is Swedish. And uh, he wants them to attend a uh, midsummer celebration at the commune that he grew up in. And um, midsummer is actually a, it's, it's falls a lot. It's, there actually are uh, the maypole. There, there is a lot of things in the movie that actually do have a lot to do with uh, Swedish Germanic cultures. That they actually do celebrate. Um, midsummer is kind of that time to uh, celebrate the coming of fall and the harvest and the end of summer kind of, you know, ending. If, if you follow along with the seasons, um, especially with some of these cultures where they use them um, more so for like agriculture. So the bringing in of the ending of summer to bring in to the harvest is dead now because we're moving into fall and winter and then the next spring to welcome in the harvest. So there's a lot of imagery and history behind that. Um, so they had been planning this trip prior to Danny even knowing anything about it. Um, and, uh, his friend Mark specifically is a real asshole and has been trying to convince Christian to break up with Danny because they feel like she's a burden on him and that she's just a lot of baggage. And Christian is already a pretty distant, he says he's been dating her for three years, but he's a pretty emotionally distant boyfriend anyway. He's actually four. Yeah. He fucks that up. Yeah, like, doesn't even remember. He's just incredibly... I love in the beginning, she's talk, that part where she's talking to her friend, and she's like, well, what if I'm just too much for him? And she's like, then he's not a good boyfriend. It's even the part where he, they're about to fight, and she apologizes. Yeah, I saw a lot of For something that's her. not even her fault. 
You can, and t- that makes me sad because that shit happens. I used to do. I that. used to do that a lot. That's actually emotional mm. abuse. It really yeah. is. It's emotional because he abuse. makes her feel bad for approaching it because she wasn't even mad. She was like, I just kind of wish she would have told me about a fucking trip to Sweden. You're gonna be gone for two weeks. You're my boyfriend who I've been dating for four years, and you decide you're not gonna tell me about a trip all the way across the world with your friends, and you're gonna be gone for two weeks. And she even says to him, like, What if I told you that I did that with my friends and never even told you about it? And you could see he didn't care he was so checked out by that point like she literally said i'm not mad she's like i just wish you would have told me and then he's like i'm just gonna leave and she's like no let's talk this out she doesn't want to be lonely i think at that point i think he was planning on breaking up with her before her parents and her sister died and the only reason why he stayed with her is because he's like well i don't want to be that guy because if i break up with her now and she does something then i'm gonna feel guilty and i'm gonna like an asshole so it was like a pity relationship pretty much is why he was staying with her um so they decide he decides to tell his friends like look i invited danny to go just act like you guys are excited um Pele actually is excited he says um, it in these words i invited her to go she accepted but she's not going yeah he's this guy's peaceful i was like what and he kept saying that over and over and over. He's like, but she's not coming. She's not coming. She's not coming. I'm like, so you invited her to go and she accepted, but she's not coming. Because yeah. you're going to tell her no? Is that what this is going? Because you're going to be like, you know what? No. But she ended up going. Yeah, because that makes a whole <laughs> lot of sense. Um, I was like, do you, do you English? <laughs> yeah, I don't even know if she... It's kind of, I don't even know if she really wanted to go, but obviously he didn't want her to go. But again, he pities her. He's afraid that if he doesn't, he doesn't want to look like an asshole. This guy's so self-absorbed. So anyway, he does invite her. And um, she goes and uh, kind of their first stop is they're meeting some of Pelly's friends, um, kind of getting to know everybody. And they all decide to do mushrooms. So what, if a lot of people know about Viking culture... Vikings actually did take psilocybin mushrooms quite a bit. They would actually take them prior to going into battle. They thought that that's what—that's actually what brought them closer to Odin, that they would actually see images of Valhalla and that their way of entering Valhalla is to sacrifice the enemy for Odin. Uh, so that was actually really heavily used in Viking culture. Um she takes the mushrooms, has a very bad trip. Um, I would not suggest, I'm like, why would you do something like that right after a really traumatic event? Because it's going to open your eyes to some shit that maybe you're just not ready to deal with yet. <laughs> I don't um, think she knew. Yeah, I don't think oh, she Oh, no, knew. she did. Because she said, I don't think I should she do this right now. Do them, she didn't want to do them, but then, of yeah. course, peer pressure. Because Mark, Mark is the asshole. Friend, Christian's friend is a dick. Um who didn't want her to come along at all. So she takes them. She has a bad trip. They all fall asleep. They wake up and uh, they end up at um, the actual like commune. And uh, they take a long walk into it. Right. It's like this beautiful sun. Oh my God. It's such gorgeous <laughs> scenery. It's so God, it's beautiful. so pretty. That it's whole really scene beautiful. is gorgeous. Cause they're playing flutes and they're like walking in, and you're just like literally captivated by how oh, gorgeous there's flowers the whole everywhere. Scene is. You're seeing kids running around. People just look so happy and carefree and a real family unit. Um, so where everybody is housed at is a really big building where there's beds inside. 
Um, and if you pay really close attention to the movie, there is a lot of imagery in that house that they're staying in. There's actually scenes that are painted on the walls that if you pay really close attention throughout the movie, they 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 tell you the movie. Essentially like Ari Aster did in Hereditary, where you watch the miniatures and it's playing the story out for you. The scenes in this like commune house pretty much play out the entire movie. A lot of imagery in them. Um so one of the uh, friends, Josh, actually is deciding, because they're anthropology students, he is actually going to do his thesis about this cult. Well, dickhead Christian has no subject about his, so he decides, well, I'm going to steal yours. They get into a fight about it. Um, and it you know, obviously caused, caused a huge rift. Uh, well, even prior to that, there is a ceremony that takes place after they have this big meal that um, really disturbs the group. Um, they don't really know how to deal with it. Danny especially doesn't know, what, know how to deal with it. But um, essentially, the way Pele describes um, how the, com how well, he describes the part where he talks about age, like when you're- 72. Yeah, how 70, how they, they discuss like it's, uh, they show their lives in seasons. It was zero so from zero to, to 16, Zero to 16 is considered, uh, that's spring. like your spring. That's like your awakening. Your, 16 your to 30. 17 to 32, 17 to 32 is, is uh, summer, summer, which was actually interesting, that little video we watched, because it's Danny's birthday, actually, while while they're there. Pele remembers, where she tells Pele it's her birthday. Christian forgets, because he's an asshole. We've there was a deleted that. scene, by um, the way, about that in an interview I saw, where she apologizes to him. For forgetting her birthday. For forget, she said, I should have reminded you. And I'm like, stop saying you're sorry. It's fucked up female habit. As in the words of Blake Lively, it's a fucked up female habit. You shouldn't be sorry for anything. Mm -hmm. Ever. <laughs> Go watch A Simple Favor. True words have never been spoken. A Simple Favor is so a great movie. It's amazing. Go see it. But it is very true because, as we said, women do that. I mean, I've done it. I've I done still it. sometimes I do that do shit. It. I'm like, that's not my fault. Yeah, Why I'm am good. I apologizing Stop. for Don't that? Don't do that. Stop that. <laughs> Stop it. So every woman that does that, and if they do it out of out of a guilt, or I know my, mine is a PTSD trigger from a past abusive relationship. You say you're sorry. It makes everything better. So I mine is something that I'm really trying to work through because I'm like, this is fucked up. I, I know why I'm saying this and I just need to stop. So you can see that. You can see a lot of that in her with that. But um, her birthday actually falls during that time. And summer is sort of seen like where you're learning 70 to 32 is when you're really becoming an adult and you're learning your life lessons. She's actually in her mid-20s too, which is midsummer, Right in the middle, midsummer. Um, and then we move on to fall, and so that would be 33 to, I would say probably 50s. I wanted to say, I think it's in the 50s. 57, maybe? Yeah, I'd, I'd say like 50, 56 or 57, remember. probably 56 or 57, somewhere around there. So that's where you're considered more of an elder. You've learned most of your adult life lessons, and this is um, now going into fall. And then, uh, so probably about 56, 57 to age 72 would be winter. This is the last years of your life. Um, you're getting closer to that age where you're unable to care for yourself. Um, so the cult, uh, when you're at, when you reach the age of 72, you, they participate in something called, um, 
I believe it's pronounced Atastupa. Atastupa. And it's actually uh, senicide. Um, so what that is, is uh, it's suicide of the elderly. Um, this is actually not just a ritual that's done in, that has been done in, in Sweden that goes all the way back again, like I said, to Nordic times, to Viking times. There's actually quite a few cultures that have practiced this. Japan is actually one that I know of. Um, a lot of people don't want to admit that it's still been done. There might actually still even be reports of this being done. But what they do uh, in Japan is they would leave them at the, they would just leave, they would either take them to like Mount Fuji and push them off, or they would take them to the forest and just leave them there and they would just die in the forest because they, you know, there's, 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 there would be no structure and how to take care of them. There's no, you know, there's no nursing homes there. And a lot of these people don't want to be burdened with having their elders in their home, or they may not have a home to have their elder in. So to take the burden off of them, they just dump them in the woods till they die. So that's what he said to, to Danny. What's his name? Pele? Yeah, I made the point That's, of saying, like, after said, it happened, like, like, you know, this or Christian said, or no, that, I'm actually. sorry, yeah, I'm sorry, it like, was Christian. Well, how did, she said, this is horrible. And he said, well, this is normal to them. What if what we do to our elderly, which is put them in a nursing home, is horror, horror for them? Yeah, this is considered something. This is sacred. This yeah. is very sacred in their tradition. We can understand, you know, I did take away from this movie as a whole that when you live in a Western culture, you do become very westernized and if there is something if there is another culture out there you tend very much to dismiss it if you don't understand it and it doesn't conform to western civilization um and there was a lot about this movie that i think like like they said coming in you know this is our culture this may not be something that you understand as we wouldn't understand you putting your elders in a nursing home we wouldn't understand that so uh I, that was a big takeaway from this movie is that i think that a lot of people that maybe didn't understand it you're so westernized you're you're not able to understand it and you're only seeing it on a surface level right that's only how you're able to see it um well we start to get more uh we start to learn more about uh the culture as they go on um josh is asking questions of the elders of how they get their visions um and there is no what was the name of the um oh the the name of the book the name of the person that wrote the that wrote their like holy book that sees the visions oh i forget the name Um, of the person I'll have to find out. And I wanted to say Noah and I'm like, nope. No. That <laughs> not, no. <laughs> uh, that's a totally, I have a totally different show in my head right now. I am so sorry. I was like, nope, wrong show. Wrong. Wrong. It's <laughs> like, that's not, that's not that Well, it's an, it's an inbred. Um, is, but is, yeah, so they, they, cause that was something that was brought up. Like, is that a big thing in this cult? Like to keep the commune together? Like, is there inbreeding? And they were like, no, we frown on that. But uh, this one, like, we'll call it, like, the oracle, I guess, that has these visions. It's basically what it is. Basically an oracle that was inbred between two members of the commune because they're considered pure, their judgment isn't clouded, and they basically have these visions of telling them what to do and how to appease Odin and how to appease the gods. Um, and Josh wants to steal this holy book. Well, when he tries, he gets fucked up. Um, That's And prior to that... Uh, Mark, um, 
this the dick the dickhead guy. This girl was gonna go show him. Oh yeah, she was she gonna show him, him. show him something. Um, no, so she didn't say something. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. I'm just gonna go show him. She's like, I want to show you, and he's like, I'm okay. gonna go. She's, she's gonna, gonna show me. Show me. I don't know what I she's was. Gonna I show was me, cracking but... up because she's. He's like, she's gonna show me, and I'm like, not something. She just wants to show. I was him. gonna say you're right. She's like, I'm just gonna show him, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, um, <laughs> anyway, before the, anyway before that, like the el so the people that uh, participated in the and at Testupa. So they are um, put on a funeral pyre, is what it's called, and uh, their bodies are burned, cremated, essentially, and the ashes are dumped on this very holy tree. Well, this dickhead Mark decides to pee on the tree, so basically you're He paying... didn't know. In, in his defense, he legit did not well, know Well, but that he acted there. like a total asshole about he it. Did. Like, he didn't understand why people were mad. He's just like, it's just some old tree, and I'm like, okay, that's literally like peeing in a cemetery. Like... <laughs> That's where all of their family members are. So you find out later when he leaves with homegirl to go show him, he gets fucked up. Um, and so later on, like, people are missing. They don't know where they are. And uh, Danny decide they have Danny take, um, they want Danny to be a part of the May Day uh, Which fe- this whole, like, May Queen thing has been brought up. A lot, a, yeah, a lot quite throughout a bit. this. Uh, Pele has actually mentioned it to her. She asked about uh, a mural of like women on the wall in their rooms that they were staying in, and she said, "Are these all the past May queens?" And he said, "Yes." So it's very important to them. It's basically the queen. It's yeah. basically their queen. Their queen, right? Um, so they dance around the maypole, and uh, again, psilocybin mushrooms are involved. Um, well, the last person standing is the one who wins May Queen, and she wins. Um, so this whole time, like, Christian is, like, a lot of shit's happening to him. He doesn't understand what's going on. Pele's sister ends up having a thing for him. She's on her period. She's like, I want to mate with you. Uh, and he's like, what? And, um, he doesn't understand what's going on. And again, I don't want to give anything away about that because, uh, just pay very close attention to one part of the movie where they show you a very interesting tapestry and they show you everything that happens and that plays a lot into that. Um, so <laughs> you're like, goddamn Christian. So Danny's like, well, can Christian come with me? Because there's like this whole ceremony that she has to do as May Day Queen and they're like, as May Queen, and they're like, nope, nope, you need to go by yourself. And I took that as a representation of Danny really coming into her own. This is her be- becoming the independent person that she always needed to be. I felt like this was a calling to show her, like, stop it. Stop. You don't need him. You don't need anybody. This is your time where you need to be strong for well, yourself. Well, she really, they were also kind of, in a way, showing her, though, that she needed them. Not she that she family. needed him. She needed them. She needed family. Because was it before this even happened, was the whole conversation that Pele had with her? Yeah, Pele had lost his family. And, and a, like, the conversation, the way it happens is you think it's just him consoling her and trying to bring an understanding of, I lost my family, this became my family. But in a way, it was sort of a foreshadowing because he was trying to tell her without saying that, like, you are going to be a part of this family because this is your purpose, to have a family now. Um but I think going back to what Ari Aster said about this being at the heart of it, a breakup movie, I think to me it's a breakup movie in the sense of 
a lot of times you stay in dysfunctional relationships because you're so afraid of being alone because mm-hmm. you don't want to be alone. You, you don't think you have the strength to do it on your own. Um, Danny definitely didn't think she did. I think she, she knew that he was not a good guy at the heart of it, but this fear of being alone, especially after losing her parents and her sister in the way that she did, I, I sometimes you would rather deal with the pain of being with this person that you can't stand rather than the pain of being alone. Um, and I think it was a real testament to show that you can be alone, Danny. You'll be fine. You have the strength to do this. You can do this. You have this. literally all of these people behind you. You have a family behind you. You do. Well, as she's gone, they decide to show Christian his purpose. And Christian's purpose is strictly to be a penis to impregnate Paley's sister. I'm not, we're, we're not even going to go there with how that scene happened, but I would just like to say <laughs> thank you and thank you. And you mean he was drugged you. and used for sex? <gasps> a man? And he felt uncomfortable? And taken advantage of. Oh dear. That's so shitty. Oh, that's terrible. I wouldn't know how to relate to that at all. No woman would at all. No women know. No woman knows. I'm sorry, though. The only part that I did think it was kind of funny when he came running out of the thing, dick swinging. I was like, what? You just don't. I was like, oh, God, there's a penis. He just came running around, just dick swinging. I was like, whoa. And he turns around and he's like, then, I'm like, now you grab it and cover I know, it I was up. like, you haven't been covering it this whole time, bitch. <laughs> what? By the way, while this is happening to him, I just want to point this out because I think this is the most powerful scene in the entire movie. After Danny, I couldn't think of her name. After Danny wins and gets back from that ceremony with the girls, she hears what's going on, and she goes to the building that he's at. They tell her not to, but she's you know she's like, no, I want to see. So she goes and looks through the peephole and sees Danny having sex. With Danny, yeah, well, not Danny, no, um, or Christian, Christian. having sex. She sees with herself having sex. With so. <laughs> um, and then. It really, I feel like that was the tip of the iceberg for her. That was just like, that upset her so much. She threw up. She just started like breaking down and all of the women get around her and they start taking her away. They're like trying to get her away and they take her to the room that they'd been staying in and she just breaks down and starts wailing like that again. Like she did when she lost. Like she did. And they all start doing it with her. Now... It looks, I know to a lot of people it can look kind of silly, but when you really think about the fact that they're taking all of the pain that she is giving out and they're taking it and doing it with her and she starts realizing what's happening, because you can see it on her face at first. She's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then you see it working in her brain like, oh my God, they're doing this for me to help me through this. I have chills sitting here talking about it. That was powerful that was such a beautiful beautiful moment to have people or it i think it was in that moment that danny felt the most comfort that she has ever felt because then when she realizes what's happening she does it more and she does it more like she's like these people are doing this well it's getting me. it all out it's she's getting, getting it all out. out it's getting out that like that Christian is an asshole. He, I've lost my parents. I've lost my sister. I have all this grief. I have no one. I've no. It's again, like I said, it's that pain. It's that audible reaction to a pain that is so real that there's no other way to let it out but like that. But then you're surrounded by people that are like, let us 
take that pain. Let us feel that pain. Let us take that away from you. Please, like, let us be here for you. Because that wasn't the only part. They Like, anytime people were going through pain or anytime people were going through anything, the multitude of people would do it with them. So they were a very, very supportive uh, group of people who made sure that the person knew, whoever was going through what, knew that they were with them and supporting them with it, which was, I actually really, really liked that. But um, basically after that part, we are, like, going towards the end where... You find out what really is going on, which I'm not going to go into too much detail because the ending is very, very incredible. Oh um, my god! The, the, the but basically, really you find yeah. out that she's become their queen. Danny has become their queen. She's one of them, and everyone else who came with her are a sacrifice to basically Odin. Yeah, so they had to have nine sacrifices in total, and some of them were their own. Right, right. Some of them were their own. So the two that the two that participated in the um, in the um, how do you pronounce that? At Testupa. So <laughs> the two older people. Uh, there were two volunteers from the uh, actual commune themselves that volunteered. Um, and then there and were then the four friends the that came four, with her. Yeah, so there were it was two friends. Josh, so Josh Mike, and Mark, Mark, Josh and Mark, and then there were two friends of uh, England from Pele's England. that were or was Pele's brothers. Igor. Igor was his name. Igor, Igor was his brother's name, and they were his brother's two friends. So the last one would have either been somebody else from town, or it would have been Christian. And she made that and decision. And had the decision. And guess who she, she picked? Beat Christian! Yay! <laughs> so they basically burned the entire building, and the whole this this actually this part was like Ari Aster. This was like the Wicker Man saying, part. Yeah. This was the part that was really reminiscent of Wicker Man. Ari Aster even said he's like, you know, when you break up with somebody, you burn their shit. Oh yeah. So he's like, this was kind of pointing to that. And at the end of the movie, guys, when all of it's burning and the fucking building is like falling down, she's looking at it and she fucking smiles. And I am going to tell you right now, I smiled with her. Because it's the first time in the movie that you actually see her smile. Like that. Like really see her smile like that. Genuine happiness across her face because she's like, I'm finally, I'm finally free and I finally have found true happiness. I have found myself. She like purged it. That was like her purge moment. Getting rid of the shit. Well, that is something. And I mean, I guess, I guess looking at it on a deeper level, I guess the movie really could be about a breakup. Yeah. But it's about a breakup on a deep, deep level. It's getting, it's, like I said, you don't know how to, sometimes you're so afraid to stand on your own that you would rather be unhappy. But getting rid of that unhappiness in her life has helped her now stand on her own. And she's like, yay. Oh, man, it was beautiful. I smiled. Like, she smiled. Oh, I did, too. I was like, cheesing. I was actually, like, I was happy for her. Yeah, I was, too. I was happy for her. I was like, yes, girl. Yeah. Yes. Finally. You deserve (laughs) this. Above anybody else, you deserve this out of everything you've been through. So, guys, we did basically give as many. We did quite get. We we didn't quite cover Midsummer. (laughs) Midsummer. We did give away quite a few spoilers, but of course, it's really hard though. Things we really just didn't want to tell you at all because to go into real description, it's like there's there's some parts we didn't go into detail because we're like, you need to just see it and you need to see it for yourself. There are some (gasps) moments. So what? 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 
What? So, in all in all, the group was, you know, they you shouldn't kill people. You, you shouldn't do that. But, to be honest with you, everything else was great. And you can sign me up. <laughs> Let's midsummer this bitch. I'm ready for it. <laughs> I am so ready for it. <laughs> well, that, that ritual actually, too, only happens every 90 years. Right. So, they only kill nine people every 90 years. So, in that's reality. That's, like really not that bad, That's though. really not that bad. <laughs> Let's talk about that. In my lifetime, it's not going to happen. 90, 90 people every 90 years. I mean, nine come people. on. Nine, nine people, people every right. 90 years. Nine people every 90 years is really not. That's one person every 10 years. Yeah, come that's on, not guys. That bad. That's not that bad. That's not that bad. And for every death, there is a rebirth. Yep. So, and they Christian make sure news, that they actually have people from their own group that do it. They're not just fishing for people. Exactly. Well, that was their point of like it following along with Christian impregnating Pele's sister to coincide with the death. So for every death, there is a rebirth. So that has a lot to do with with the culture, too. And visually, again, it was a stunning movie. Stunning. The music absolutely too. beautiful. The music, Ugh. the soundtrack went along very well with the imagery of the story. And again, the acting. Phenomenal. Phenomenal acting. The majority of the actors were Swedish actors who I did not know, but well, someone even told Ari. They, they were told him they incredible. were like, "Your lead females on both of these movies are fucking amazing," yeah. and they are. They absolutely are. And he picked both of them. He handpicked both of them. He said, "I want Tony Collette for Hereditary," and he wanted uh, Florence Pugh. Florence, I keep. I cannot remember her I know. fucking name. I know that's a <laughs> tough one. Um. Florence and the Machine. That's yeah, how you remember go. That's it. how you'll remember it. <laughs> um, I cannot wait to see what Ari Aster has next. I am really yep. excited. Um, this next is year? definitely turn into one of these directors Please. where I'm like, it's like James Wan. I'm like, when when are you? When's the next one coming out? I need to know. Like, I I, know. of course, I don't want you guys to. I don't want the market to be saturated, but it'd be nice if you could have a movie a year. That would be great. Of course, he did actually have to film it. Like. Right after Hereditary, yeah. so I want the guy to have a little bit of a vacation. He but... probably needs a break, maybe. Yeah, he needs some time to soak all this in because he's starting to get people like a legit cult following. Yeah, and he because Hereditary it. was one of the most talked about movies in 2018, and then Midsummer, I have no doubt, is going to be the same. I can't wait to see that. I can't awesome. wait to buy that. I'm buying it. I can't wait either. I'm so <laughs> excited. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed. Wow. <laughs> Hitting that two hours. Damn. Yeah. These ones when we talk about movies, I feel it's like. It's so those are the hard ones... though because we we like to describe them. Yeah. So. You can't really. Especially movies like that. Them. Oh my gosh. There's so much imagery. Yeah. And that's not even everything. Go watch them. If you haven't seen either of these movies, go watch them. Holy like we shit. Said, we gave spoilers away. We pretty much told you what was going to happen, but the imagery in these movies are so phenomenal that it's worth just to watch that, and the acting is incredible. It really is incredible. And I really wish Toni Collette would have gotten some type of nomination yeah, for she Hereditary, because for I don't understand. That is really a movie. I understand horror doesn't get a lot of attention when it comes to award shows, because I still feel like, to a certain extent, it's not taken seriously. but. I felt like Hereditary was one of those movies that it was just standalone. I mean, it, it was not your typical horror movie. I'd never seen anything like that before. And I mean, I can't can tell you how many people were like, give all the awards to Tony Collette for that movie. Well, I mean, Hereditary and Midsummer 
pulled from other movies, but really in themselves, there was no other movie like that. No. Like they were, they were standalone. Like you, you didn't see, you've never seen any other movie that compared to the two of those. There, there is no comparison. That's why we really encourage people to see it themselves so that you can base your own interpretations from it and kind of get your own takeaway from it. But we hope we helped, especially with Midsummer, because I think there's a lot of things that if you if you go into it with an explanation, it's a little bit easier to appreciate. Kind of like the one of the movies we're going to talk about next week. Guys. <laughs> so if any one of you know me, you know I have a very unhealthy... It's healthy now. I will admit it's healthy now. Obsession with Jennifer Lawrence. Her birthday is next week. Actually, it is the 15th. And our podcast hits the 14th. So guess what we're doing a podcast on next week? (laughs) Jennifer Lawrence's Horror Movies. (laughs) And I have to thank Becky for this because she agreed to it. And I'm like really excited because oh my god <laughs> I had to I know this is her favorite actress and she adores Jennifer Lawrence Jennifer Lawrence is everything to me <laughs> like, I can't even. House at the End of the Street so the two main ones we're gonna focus on are House at the End of the Street and Mother yeah. um, I have not seen Mother yet I cannot wait to see it um, I'm excited for you to see yeah, it I'm, I'm glad I know what it's about now so that I'll have a better understanding of it when I watch it um but I did know that I, I figured it was going to be. It's the same guy that directed Black Swan, so I Which figured is it was going to be another movie. Ooh, ooh, visually amazing. So, um, yeah, I'm excited about. I'm really excited about this. Those uh, House of the Industry is a really good horror movie. I like it. Very underrated. Very good twist at the end. Um, I, yeah, very underrated though. I feel like it's very underrated, and it is one underrated. of those really great twist endings. Um, also, Jennifer Lawrence is in a white tank top. Like a lot welcome. towards the end. You're welcome. If you don't want to watch it, you want to watch it now. At least for that. Um, <laughs> also, she sings. Oh, actually, no, I take that back. That's not her voice. I oh, take that back. Isn't? That's not her voice. No, oh, it's not. Well, damn it. It I'm is her voice in Mockingjay, I'm but that's not her voice at House at the End of the Street. I'm learning something new. Yeah, if you guys want to know any really dumb facts about movies she's in, I got you. Any facts, not just dumb I got facts, you. literally any facts about Jennifer Lawrence. But those are the two know. horror movies that she's in, so we're going to talk about those movies in honor of her birthday next week. So if oh, you yeah. haven't seen Mother or House at the End of the Street, watch them, because the House at the End of the Street twist, you definitely want to see. Oh, yeah, for sure. You definitely want to see that. For sure. Um, and stars Mother, Max Terriot, too. Mother, oh, hey, uh... Bates Norman Motel. Bates' brother. Bates Motel. Bates Motel for sure. Um, <laughs> and then Mother, um, again, it's one of those movies where like, no spoilers, but it, it would it would do you justice to kind of read into what the premise of the movie is about and then go watch it. Because uh, when I heard about it and saw previews about it, I was like, I don't understand what this movie is supposed to be about. And then... I read in an interview that Jennifer Lawrence did, I think with the director where they talked about basically what the premise is like, this is what the movie's about. And it's like, Oh, got it. Um, it makes the movie make so much more sense. I promise you a lot of biblical allegories. So just Adam and Eve, mother nature, Cain and Abel, man and God, 
a lot of lot of biblical allegories. And if you're kind of like, ew, no, like seriously, like the it's the movie is a metaphor. It's a giant metaphor, so it's it's worth watching. Right. Right. It's amazing imagery. It's a beautiful And it's movie. not a religious movie. Please no, it's away. not. No. When I say biblical allegories, I mean like there were biblical allegories in the fucking Matrix. And the Matrix <laughs> wasn't a goddamn religious movie. But I mean, come on. Biblical allegories are in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Right. I mean, oh, like, yeah. Very heavy. Yeah. So. So it's not. Doesn't mean that it's. Oh, well, God. No. It's, it's. But you'll take ties to it where you'll go. Oh, like I said, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You'll, you'll get it when you see it. Yeah. You'll get it when you see so it. So that's next week, guys. So excited. It's been a good month. We've got some great episodes coming up this month. So. We do. And a big surprise for our last one. Mm. All right, guys. A word from our sponsor. Calm your body down. <laughs> I, I literally it. want your giggle I to be a part did. of it, though. <laughs> like, I fucking get tired of it calm ever. Calm your body down. <laughs> Like, I need, I need that to be trademarked in it. <laughs> oh it's so God, perfect. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, so, guys, I know I haven't posted virtually anything on the Instagram in a while. Um, I do have some new product ideas coming up. So, um, please keep watching back. Um, again, if you guys haven't checked last week when we reached 120 followers... Um, we now offer 20% off all products. Um, and again, like I mentioned, so there's no confusion, you actually can use both codes if you'd like to. So see your BD20, we'll give you 20% off and DFWTO, we'll still give you the free shipping. Um, so please make sure you guys check it out. Um, and like I said, I apologize for the lack of post, but there are going to be some new products coming out the end of this month that I'm sure you guys are really going to be excited for. A lot of them have to do with fall. I'm so yes. ready for fall. So sick of this fucking heat. Um, so come back, check it out. IG page at CURBD. Um, the Etsy shop link is in the bio. And thanks again. Calm your body down. By the way, speaking of her post last week, uh, James Wan saw the post that she made about the conjuring. He episode. sure did. Uh, yeah. Thank you at creepy puppet. That was a shock. I was not expecting that. She woke up and to it and was like having an aneurysm. I was like, what? What? <laughs> so thank you very much for that. That, yes. that was appreciated for sure. Uh, social media. If you want to follow us on social media, we have a Twitter and we have a Facebook and an Instagram. Follow us on all three at Don't Fuck With The Original. The Twitter handle is DFWTO8811. If you have any questions or concerns, please feel free to email us at dfwto8493 at gmail.com. You can also find us and subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Podcast Addicts, CastBox Player, or I'm sorry, Podcast Player and CastBox. Subscribe and you will always know when we put out a new episode, especially on off days when we do them like this. That way, if you didn't see it on social media, you'll still get the notification that it happened. Right. I'm damn proud of myself because I got all of that fucking yes, right. Did. I'm first proud of time. you for that. <laughs> tiny clap. <laughs> God. Love the tiny clap. All right, guys. Is that everything? That's everything. All right. We'll it. see you next week for some Jennifer Lawrence. I'm dancing, but you can't see it. Sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Sorry, you can't see it. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs>